I feel like a lot of that sort of real world honesty is missing. And, you know, I don't want to scare them. I do feel like it's important. I mean, I don't always get a lot of time to give adjustments and feedback and whatever, but to try to find that thing, that spark in somebody and bring it out. It's so exciting. It is about those connections and those relationships. And it's, yeah, it's something that I really love to do. It's a really fulfilling thing to be able to give back in that way. Welcome to Mentors on the Mic. I'm your host, Michelle Miller, a New York City native actress with credits in film, television, off-Broadway, and commercials. Every Monday, I'll bring you an incredible mentor in the entertainment industry, focusing on how they started and how they moved up to where they are today. Thanks for listening, and let the episode begin. Hi, guys. I'm so excited to introduce you to Erica Carnell from BRS Gage Talent Agency. They are a bi-coastal agency representing actors in theater, film, and television. They have some of the greatest clients, including friends of mine. And Erica got her master's in cinema studies. She's worked as an associate talent agent. She also started completely differently in a different industry. Um, but So her journey itself is very interesting. But I also really appreciated this particular episode because she answers a lot of questions that actors ask me all the time. So what do agents look for in their actors? Does she work with developmental actors, which we define on the episode, all about what it is to be a bi-coastal agent and how that affects the actor, and how she personally pitches her actors for projects. Like if she needs to push for them, what is that like and what goes into that? And there's just lots of answers that I think you know, actors ask all the time about their representation wherever they are, whether it's they're getting their representation for the first time or they're moving from one agency to another. And I think this answers a lot of that, especially because Erica is such a natural teacher. She's someone who teaches not just your workshops, but classes for different schools, different colleges, different places. And so she's a natural teacher. She really loves it. You can tell the way she talks about it. She really enjoys talking about the business of acting and helping actors find that thing in in themselves. And uh, I think you're really going to like it. So without further ado, welcome, Erica Carnell. Hi, Erica. Hi, Michelle. Hi, thank you so much for being part of this podcast. I'm so happy that you're here. Me too. This is very exciting. Very. So I guess the, the first question I ask everyone is, how did you start in the entertainment industry? Purely by luck. Um, I graduated from college. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I had gone to college thinking I wanted to be a lawyer. I was very quickly dissuaded by pre-law classes, realizing that it was not what I wanted to do, though I did run mock trial club for two years. But I went into public relations. It was a temp job. And then I was you know, hired on full time. And I enjoyed it. I worked a lot for... It was back in the days of like Big dish versus small dish satellite. So we did a lot of stuff with the satellite industry, their trade organization, Showtime satellite channels. Like there, it was before streaming, there were like specific channels designed and like subsets that were designed just for satellite. And some were for big dish and some were for small and some channels were on Prime Star and Dish Network. And it was this whole new world that I really knew nothing about being a New York City kid with 
Time Warner Cable. But I got to work with Showtime and promote a lot of projects that I was really excited about. It was when they first started doing originals. So Bastard Out of Carolina, you know, some really, really great projects. There was a, a beautiful film that they did. I think it was called Thanks of the Beloved Country or uh, Thanks for Thanks of a Grateful Nation. And I got to meet Brian Dennehy and that was amazing. I got to work with Gregory Harrison. I got to meet Hank, the roller skating dog from The Truth About Cats and Dogs. Yes. Fun fact, his daughter actually did the roller skating. She was the stunt dog. He did not, he would not do the roller skating, but I got to, you know, work with some cool people and I really enjoyed the job. What kind of stuff did you do for them though? Like what kind of, what was your role there? For them, it was a lot of uh, editing press releases, uh, writing up press releases, pitching things to uh, a lot of very specific publications that again were like satellite oriented there were specific like like program guides like versions of almost tv guide but it wasn't tv guide that were like satellite guides and they did features so it was you know trying to get showtime on the cover of prime star magazine that month or whatever it was so it was a lot of i had done some pr unofficially in college i ran a lot of theater clubs so it was promoting all the shows i always had the ability to really want to support and promote things that excited me people that i cared about projects that i was passionate about so it seemed like a natural fit i also worked for like marantz which was a high-end stereo system company like there were a couple of particularly odd niche areas that this PR firm worked in that I had far less interest in, but I really, really loved the work that I did for Showtime. Um, And then I was at work one day and I got a phone call from one of my former professors and he was doing a, like a college audition process in New York City. And he was with a casting director who was in the room with him as well. And he called me at work and he said, I found your job. I found your career. Wow. You should be a casting director. And I said, great. How do I do that? Yeah. And he had no idea. I believe his exact words were, I have no bleeping clue. But my mom had a friend who was a talent agent. And my mom mentioned to her that this professor friend of mine had suggested this to me. And she said, well, Erica would be great at that. I don't know anybody who's looking. My agency is looking for an assistant. It's the other side of the table, basically. So it'd be a great way for her to learn the industry, meet the people involved in the industry, and then she could transition over. They were not actually looking for an assistant for several months because it was summer. And they had, at the time, unpaid interns when you could get away with that. But they called me back uh, in September when they were actually looking. They called me back and then this family friend worked for, in addition to her agency, she also worked for Nader, the National Association of Talent Representatives, which is the trade organization for East Coast talent agencies. And the president, who was a friend of hers, also ran the New York office of the Gage Group. And they were also looking. So I had my second interview at her agency back to back. I don't remember which was which day, but two days in a row. I showed up late to work because I had interviews and I immediately said, I want to work. Internship opportunity? They're both for like front desk assistant. Got it. And I just, I knew I wanted to work for Gage. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. They were funny. They were smart. I mean, the other agency had a dog on site. So points on that front. There was an awesome, awesome dog. But the people at Gage just, they made me smile. They made me laugh. They made me feel like I was part of a a community immediately. You know, the the four people in the room just uh, automatically made me feel like I was part of something. So I sort of 
put a wish out into the universe to, and I actually was offered both jobs within about 15 minutes of getting back to my desk. Wow. It was actually, it was the other agencies. That second interview was the second day and I got to my desk and within 15 minutes got the call from Gage. So I started at the front desk two weeks later. Wow. And how was that job? How was working front desk? What What kind of things did you do? What kind of things did you learn? I learned everything in record time because yeah. you have to. Um, you know, it's front desk, which basically means with a small agency, you're just sort of the general assistant. There was an agent assistant, there was a front desk assistant and a back desk assistant. This is actually a good question, though, because I, I, we're going to have a lot of people who listen who are actors. So we'll definitely answer questions that actors would want to know, but also people who don't really know what BRS Gage is. Um, so first of all, this was just Gage. They were a smaller agency, right? So what's a smaller agency like? Well, I mean, the agency was about the same size. Oh, okay. Um, oh, yeah, then medium size, right? Yeah. So how many how many people? What would be a, a medium sized agency to someone? How would you describe that? I feel like those those definitions are kind of muddied these days. Yeah. We are a what I think of as a medium sized agency. You know, we have over 200 clients in New York, um, or about 200 clients in New York, and about the same in California. And there are six agents in New York, four in Los Angeles. Previously, there were four agents in New York, and before that, there were three agents in New York. So that you know, number kind of varies. But we we operate like a boutique agency. So the idea of a boutique agency is that you have that sort of personalized attention. You have that that very direct line of contact to your agent and it's a there's a really it's a relationship base i feel like the bigger you get sort of the more removed you are from from your person we also operate as a with a team approach as opposed to a point person approach what used to be called a responsible agent which has led to so much confusion because people think the uh, obvious opposite of that is an irresponsible agent, which I've had that conversation many times on the phone when we say we don't have responsible agents and people either think they're being funny or are absolutely serious when they say, what does that mean? Are you not responsible? It reminds me of um, the way I think about it visually. I don't know why I'm not even a sports person, but it's like, you know, in basketball where there's like one-on-one defense as opposed to like, you can just take whomever, you can man whomever. I feel like that's a little bit similar to that. It's this idea you have a point person. You have someone. Right. I, I'm not a sports person other than figure skating and gymnastics. Oh, so yeah, those are the, the metaphor is lost on me. But yeah, we have we break it down by casting director. So each agent has their pool of casting offices that they work with, and then we all represent all of the actors. Back when we used to have a commercial department at Gage, there was sort of a separate little pool of actors that were not necessarily represented by the legit side of the like agency. The full yeah. Right. Like the full agency. So does that mean everyone in the agency then has to kind of agree on an actor before yeah. they come in? Yes. And there have been times where, you know, Someone can be swayed or someone will just say, like, I don't feel strongly enough that I don't want to work with this person. And you guys are very passionate about it. So or about them. So um, but, you know, the other nice thing is that it's enabled us to build relationships with the casting offices as well. Um, So that if I want to pick up the phone and say to, you know, Binder's office, um, hey, you really need to see this person for this role. 
they're going to take my call. They're going to listen to what I have to say. They're going to be more responsive to my push because I'm not one of eight people from my agency pushing a client. Yes. And like, I go out to drinks with some casting directors. Jay Binder, who just retired, is a dear friend. I also feel like I have the casting directors that I work with. I can have very frank conversations with them. So I feel like I'm not necessarily getting the party line about a project or feedback. I mean, feedback's impossible to get most of the time. But yeah. you know, very often, I can have a frank conversation with a casting director about why my client didn't get a job. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's, you know they tanked. Yeah. It happens. They blew it. And other times it's, look, I don't, I don't know. I thought they were great. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's the director's in love with somebody else. They, that's all they could see for it. And, but it, it's nice to sometimes hear more than just the, like, they went another way. Yeah. So it's nice to actually get something perhaps constructive or at least tangible. And I think that that's in part because we get to have the opportunity to have real relationships with casting directors yeah. you know and it's not every office but no. certain offices certain casting directors you really click with and we've been known to shuffle casting directors when we feel like this is a relationship that's not working or yeah smart you know we had we, we split up telsey because it's a behemoth Massive. <laughs> but you know there was one casting director that we just the agent who was working with them just wasn't getting anywhere yeah so they switched to a different agent and there was just more of a connection there and yeah. that worked better. I mean, it's a people industry. So like you can't just, you know, you can't help. Some people have good relationships. Some people just don't click. And, and you, I'm glad that you guys have that ability to be like, this isn't working. Something isn't working between us, but maybe someone else will have more luck. Yeah, how it's did, nice. How did you start? I mean, I guess that maybe this fall, this question falls on along with like going back to you. You started as the assistant front desk person or just a front desk receptionist. How do you start moving up to being an agent? And like, how does that work? With smaller agencies, it's tough yeah. um, because somebody has to leave. It's not like a position's really going to be created. It's a small business. So like any small business, there's only a certain amount of room. So I started off at the front desk, which was answering phones and pulling submissions back when you actually had to do hard copy submissions and somebody yeah. came and picked them up every day and then copying scripts. But it was also a great opportunity to get to know all the clients, you know, learn all the casting directors, learn about all the projects, um, see how each agent in the office did things, how everybody did everything, you know, how people did things differently, what things were the same. So it was a really great sort of learning process. Did you have to like set up appointments and set up bookings and set up callbacks with the actors? Yep. And back then, this is a long time ago, Michelle. Yeah. I'm older than I look. You look very young. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there was no um, email was really not in common use professionally. Yeah. Yeah. Clients came to the office to pick up scripts. Yeah. I used to take scripts home for one of our clients because he lived a few blocks from us in Brooklyn. And it was difficult for him to get into the city because he was mostly in Brooklyn. So I would bring scripts home with me and leave wow. them under the mat in front of my front door so he could pick them up whenever. Wow. One of my bosses lived a couple blocks from Mary Testa, so he used to bring scripts home from her for her all the time so that she didn't have to come uptown. You know, it was also Danny Burstein was taking a class at God, I think BMI I was right across the street and he was doing a workshop there. And so he'd just come in for lunch. Right. He'd just bring his lunch before class and come hang out. Wow. It's actually one of the things that I really love about 
the atmosphere of our agency, you know, is that sort of open door policy and that sense that we have, it is, it's about relationships and we're so close with so many of our clients and we've represented so many of them for so long. Yeah. So long-term relationships. Yeah. Like my, the first phone call I answered and actually, no, we're in September. So yeah, my career is now 21 years old. Wow. My career in the agency world is old enough to drink. <laughs> yeah. But my first phone call that I answered was Liz Calloway. Mm. Freaked out a little bit. Once I transferred her, I very calmly and quietly freaked out. But, you know, I was so excited about our client list. I loved the people that we worked with. And I loved the people that I, that I worked with every day. And, you know, Steve Unger and I have now worked together for 21 years. You know, people have left, people have gone on to other things, people have retired, but right. yeah. When did you decide, yeah, I don't need to move to casting. This is, I, I want to stay here. Within weeks. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty immediate. My natural inclination is sort of as a, a caretaker and that sort of hands-on approach to being responsible for other people and taking care of other people and getting them what they need, I think was so much of a draw. And that combined with like, I wanted to go to school to be a lawyer. So now I'm negotiating contracts. I was going to ask about that. How do you, how do you just manage to like now know? Cause I was always thinking about that with like my representation. I'm like, I send this to you and you're not a lawyer, but like, you know what you're doing. Like, you know what to look for, you know, like what the contract should be like and what to make sure of. And I was just curious about that. I'm really good with legalese. So it's a lot of times, you know, interpreting what that means. And I think I've spent a lot of time because when I started at the front desk, Phil Edelman, who was the president of Nader and also the head of the New York office of Gage said, by the way, you have two jobs now. You're also going to be the Nader secretary. Right. Oh, that's how you got it. Oh, yeah. He was like, yes. And now you you work for me twofold. So that was just this little side gig that I did for him. How did you organize that time? Like, how did you... Set aside time for that. He would basically say, I need you to do this. And so I did it. He was my boss and he sort of, you know, he let me know what was a priority as far as, you know, this needs to go out tomorrow or this needs to go out right away and put everything else on hold. And, you know, it's just sort of learning how to prioritize as with the 40 things you constantly do in a, in a small business and in an agency, you know, you're constantly having to prioritize. Are you still a secretary there or you're some, uh, you're No, I I sort of became the executive assistant at some point, but I stepped away back in September of last year. It was becoming very challenging to balance those responsibilities with the added agent responsibilities, you know, as, as my, primary job responsibilities grew significantly. It just wasn't working anymore for me to be able to get everything done. And I didn't have the president sitting there saying, you can put your regular job on hold to do this. So it just didn't make sense for me to to do that anymore. What was a really enjoyable side gig, but really a time consuming one, extremely time consuming, but it was really beneficial for a long time. For me, it enabled me to, first of all, sort of get this, you know, right on the boots on the ground experience with union negotiations and dealing with the Department of Consumer Affairs for our licensing. And just in case we haven't said it, what does Nader stand for? It's the National Association of Talent Representatives. Uh, National being a bit of a misnomer because it's really just New York. Really? Yeah. The Association of Talent Agencies in Los Angeles is the 
sort of LA and they also have people in Chicago and I think Atlanta and Florida as well um, in their in their list of members we're really primarily New York and you know many agencies are members of both there's sort of an alliance between the two you know we're sister organizations Wow but it's two different boards of directors so it's they operate differently you know they have a full-time staff as opposed to my you know, we need you to send out this email in your spare time. Yeah. But it enabled me to build relationships with people at the union, you know, people in city government. I worked with, you know, my own state senator when we were trying to get a, a bill passed. Wow. You know, there's lobbyists involved and all sorts of stuff. So it yeah. really was a wonderful education for me from the other side of things. Right. As far as, you know, how things work and what's important. And that helped a lot also with, you know, when, when you know, what's happening behind the scenes between the trade organization and the union yeah. when those sort of underlying contracts are being negotiated then you know for like a collective bargaining agreement then when i see the contract mm. later on that sort of helps me learn you know what all of that is so it was definitely really beneficial in in that side of things and of course yeah. you know being really good with the legalese i like rewrote our bylaws yes all sorts of fun stuff i wrote the website that's fantastic yeah yeah so you've done a lot for them so you're so you're working front desk slash receptionist for for gauge group because it was just gauge group at the time how long were you doing that for i want to say six months or so. It wasn't long. Wow. The other assistant who was the agent assistant left. And how many agents were working there at the time? Uh, it was four agents and two assistants. Got it. So I replaced him when he left, sort of moved up into that position, which was a lot of setting appointments and dealing with a lot of things like agency contracts and keeping track of what all of our clients were doing at all times and processing booking sheets. So again, I think those sort of starting positions, you know, there's no, there's no school for this. At one point, I think NYU was looking at doing a program, but I don't know if it ever took off. Yeah. This is maybe five years ago they started talking about it. But, you know, there's no, there's nowhere to go. There's no class you can take. There's no program of study to learn how to be an agent. Yeah. The only way to learn how to do it is by doing it. Yeah. And it is starting at the front desk. I don't know the value necessarily of starting in a mail room. I don't know that that helps anybody, but if that's the only way into the bigger agency, that's what you do. Yeah. If that's the path you want to pursue, you know, for me, it was starting with answering the phone and typing up submissions and yeah. learning, you know, how agents do what they do. Uh, one of the great things about Gage is that the doors were never closed. Agents never closed their door unless they needed like quiet for an important converse, you know, for an yeah. important phone call with a client. There was never a, you're not allowed to know that. You're not allowed to ask that. Why are you asking that? That's none of your business. It was always, please ask questions. Let us educate you. I mean, basically three of the four agents had been school teachers before they became oh, agents. Wow. So there was that sense of really wanting to teach the younger people in the agency how to do what they do. And it was a, an incredible opportunity, you know, to be able to, to come in and do that hands-on and have people supporting you and telling you that you're, you have an inability and an instinct that is really suited to what you've decided to pursue. So it was, it was fantastic. And for a while they had me doing until the merger, which was six years ago now with, with uh, Baumard, Antti and Shawl. When I, I took a break, went to grad school. And when I came back, 
they created a position for me. I didn't know what I wanted to do out of, wow. out of to grad school either because I went to grad school thinking I'd want to pursue a PhD and then remembered how um, isolating and depressing um, scholarship is. I don't do well if I can't talk to people yeah, and can't work with people and, again, take care of people. So doing research was not going to work for me. And I went to school for two years and I loved it. I got my master's in cinema studies at NYU. Also realized this wasn't the path for me. And I was still very close with my folks at Gage. And I was talking to Stephen when I was about to graduate. And he said, please come back. We need you. We miss you. We can't do this without you. I don't want to do this without you. So they created a new position for me that hadn't previously existed. What was that position? It was an, it was a, an associate talent agent. So it wasn't about having my um, franchise, which is what you need from Actors' Equity in order to right. be an agent. But it was not just being an assistant. There were two other assistants and I was sort of this in between. Yeah, it was middle management, I guess. Yeah. One person middle management. Um I did all the bookkeeping. Basically did all the office management, but also worked on negotiating contracts uh with Steven and you know, it was a lot less of the like having to do the day-to-day -day assistant duties right. and more more agenting. More, more agenting. Yeah. How long did you do that for? A really long time. Yeah. Because there wasn't room to move up. Exactly. But I love my people. I love my job. I love my clients. So, you know, and I'm, I don't think I've ever been particularly ambitious. I describe myself as being uh, an overachiever with low self-esteem. So it's always, you know, I, it wasn't about like, I need to have this title. I need to have this recognition. Yeah. I need to get this paycheck. I was really happy doing what I was doing and nobody at the agency had ever worked for another agency. Right. Wow. That says a lot. Yeah. But it was also, I only knew how to do what I was doing in that environment. Yeah. And working with people at Nader, I knew what it could be like. I knew. Yeah. And wonderful people that I worked with there, yeah. but it was... I was so happy in the environment that I was in and working with the people I was working with and having the clients that I had and the relationships with casting that I had that I wasn't in any rush to set that aside for my own benefit because I wasn't sure if it would be as emotionally satisfying to go to work every day with different people in a different environment. So are you currently an associate talent? Because you keep talking past tense, like I was and I did. So I just want to double check. Aren't you, are you an associate talent agent right no, now? No, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a full agent. Uh, Phil Edelman, who had run the New York office of Gage and then became a partner when the BRS Gage merger happened, retired. And so there was some shuffling and movement and, you know, there was there was room. Have you seen a major difference between your responsibility as this associate talent agent and now in your current role? Yeah, that's what I think. I figured that was going to be the answer. I described it as um, updating your Facebook status from um, it's complicated to in a relationship. <laughs> so good. <laughs> it did feel really satisfying. Yeah, I'm sure. And... There is, um, it's, I think, a more challenging balance now because there are still responsibilities that I have that are to the agency as a whole. Right. And then I have my own projects and my own 
you know, my own yeah. bookings, my own, my own casting directors, my own, you know, all the things that are just mine. Yeah. And then I'm still, when the merger happened, I took on a role as well of sort of client relations. I started dealing with all of the agency contracts again, which I hadn't done in a really long time. And that also involves sort of onboarding new clients, familiarizing them with the agency. So, you know, once we decided we wanted to work with them, then it was time to sit down with me and sort of get the, the scoop on things. This is what our template looks like. This is what our logo is, that kind of thing. Well, even just right, like, enough. this is who you contact and this is, right. you know, this is who you tell when you're booking out. Always right. tell your agent that you're booking out, actors out there. It's very important. But, you know, just this sort of sense of I'm here, you know, it really sort of helped with that, that caretaker instinct yeah. to be the person that they came to. Yeah. And I had sort of unofficially been that for such a long time. I think from, from the beginning, once the clients got to know me, I'm the person that they come to with their questions. Right. And I like being that person. Yeah. I am good at being that person. Yeah. So it sort of seemed a natural fit to just become this, you know, client relations, you know, to make that sort of more unofficially official. So I'm still doing agency contracts with them. I'm still doing that sort of onboarding process. Right. And there's aspects of just, I'm the one who deals with the union stuff. I'm the one who deals with, I'll still deal with questions when someone has a question about a paycheck, even though I'm not doing the bookkeeping anymore. Yeah. So there's still a lot of things that, again, it's that figuring out how to prioritize all of the various things. Um, yeah. And I think that's true of anybody in an agency. Yeah. You know, you're working on 40, 50 things at once. You know, so many different projects, dealing with so many different clients, so many different hats. Um, But even if you only wear one hat, it's still, you know, unless you're a a manager with, you know, two clients and you can clearly delineate which client and which, you know, what you're dealing with for that one client. um, And that's just not the norm anymore anyway. I think there's very few managers who only have that like tiny little stable. So I also wanted to get a little bit on teaching because you, you have been teaching a lot. And so what, when did that really start? When did you start teaching? Three or four years ago, I got a phone call from a client um, who was sort of stepped away from the business um, in order to take a teaching position at Elon. And he called me and he said, Hey, have you ever done this? Because I think you'd be really good at this. Will you come down and spend the weekend and work with my students. Wow. And it actually ended up being me and Jay Binder for the weekend. There you go. Uh, which was great. And, you know, went down for the weekend and they have it really streamlined down. It's uh, at Elon University in North Carolina. They have their program like really, really streamlined as far as the schedule and, and how everything works. But a lot of it, you know, some of it is audition feedback and you know, I also saw Jay Bender do things that I did not know were allowed in teaching, just in the sense of like, the man is a genius. He has been at this for a very long time. He yeah. is enjoying, I hope, his very well-deserved retirement. Yeah. But he was completely reorchestrating. I mean, it was just the piano, but he was like changing people's audition cuts on the fly, working with the accompanist like... It was amazing. Yeah. And I did not know you were allowed to like interrupt. Yeah. And I'd done a couple of like actors connections, workshops, kind of things. At that point, I had already done that. And that was, you know, very much like there's like a there's like a system in place. There's a system in place and you don't interrupt and you don't ask for adjustments. And this was so freeing to see that we're really there to to 
to give that feedback and to work with them, to work with them. Yeah. And then after that, after the audition workshop, it was, there was a reception and it was just hours of talking to these seniors about the business and how it works and, you know, just a a real frank conversation about the business of the business. And that for me has sort of been, I've adopted that model when a school asks me, you know, how do I want to do this? Yeah. It's like, let's work on the audition stuff. Let's, you know, take the time, do the feedback, you know, do the work and then let's have a conversation. Yeah. Like, please, I've been doing this for a really long time. So please use my expertise, my expertise, my knowledge to help. Because I think sometimes in these programs, there's not enough of a real world emphasis. You don't know the business of the business. You have this sort of idealized notion of what you're getting into and it's not how it works in the real world. One program that I worked with, these kids worked so hard to do a presentation for me of scene work. And they were like, in the hallway measuring the amount of apple juice to go with the water to make it look like white wine in the bottle. And I was like, guys, I appreciate the work and I appreciate seeing your talent, but when are you actually going to use this in the real world? Yeah. Like, let's actually talk about this. If you're doing a, an actual showcase, like a graduation showcase, it's this quick. Like there's no time for setting up your props and your it's never going to happen. Changing your costumes. Right. It's too fast. And in a real world audition, you're not allowed never, to bring those props. Never going to happen. There's not going to be props. You're not going to be sitting there with the reader working on anything. I mean, yeah. some of some beautiful work was being done with physical connection between two of the, the students in one of the classes. And I was like, that's wonderful. And if this were a, a show, if this were a production, I'd be so happy to see that. When you're in an audition. Yeah. There's a reader on the other side of a table, who maybe standing next to you. Yeah. Like, who knows? You're not going to have the opportunity to build up that level of intimacy and physical contact. Yep. Where, where is that for you guys? Right. Where is the, the real world? Op- and even on set, I mean, I've had to act with nothing before. Like, if the way they position the camera, you stare into, like, space and you have to pretend someone's there who you're connecting with. And that's just that's just the way it works. Like, sometimes they cannot move it around and get the shot they want with you talking to someone physically and you have someone off camera saying the lines and you respond to someone as if they're there. I, I feel like a lot of that sort of real world honesty is missing. And, you know, I don't want to scare them, but no, I no. do feel like it's important. I mean, I don't always get a lot of time to give adjustments and feedback and whatever, but to try to find that thing that yeah. that spark in somebody yeah. and bring it out. It's so exciting. And I think because of the way that we work as an agency, you know, those relationships that we have with our clients. I have brought students in as clients. I had one student who I adored and still adore, and it sort of didn't work out with timing and she wasn't able to get in for a meeting. And so we didn't end up working together, but we're still in touch. We still see each other. The client who was in her class did a show earlier this year and we saw each other there and, you know, talked about the fact that like, we're going to work together someday. We know it. Yeah. Um, oh, and we adore each other. And so that's, it is about those connections and yeah. those relationships. 
And it's, um, yeah, it's something that I really love to do. So I'm so thankful that this client of mine, again, saw something in me. Started that, yeah. Started it for me. And, but it, yeah, it's a really fulfilling thing to be able to give back in that way. And you've done it from more places too. You, you said like um, Broadway Dreams, Malloy, Manhattan School of Music, Shenandoah. So it's, it's, you know, it really evolved into something. Yeah. I mean, and it's definitely something I've, we have other former clients who've, you know, gone to work at other universities because yeah. that, you know, tends to be a, a natural transition. Yep. So it's definitely something that I want to be able to expand, you know, what those relationships are, where I get to teach. As someone who has taken a lot of workshops and has talked to a lot of agents, I feel like I can, yeah, I can totally tell. It's also, it's a passion of yours. It's, it's very obvious. So I guess the last thing I wanted to end on was just this idea of like actors always have questions for agents and, and we're not going to ask all of them because that's boring. But, um, I did want to sort of ask for people who are like learning about the different agencies. Cause I always talk to people who are just getting started and they'll be like, how do I get an agent? And I wouldn't rec them, recommend them, for instance, to contact someone like you if you're if you're green and starting out. And so I kind of wanted to talk about that with you as to like, what are the type of clients that should reach out to you or how do you start working with someone? Is it like, do you see someone in their work and then you go to them? Do you sometimes do it based on these workshops and intensives and stuff where you meet them? What is it that is like a, a good BRS gauge talent actor? A lot of it for us, like I said, it's relationships. Yeah. So if I connect with somebody when I'm teaching, you know, we've had people, there's other agents in the office who also teach and they bring in people. Most of our clients are by referral. So whether that's from casting directors or other clients. Yeah. You know, occasionally we'll hear from a manager that, you know, somebody is looking for a new agent. That's usually somebody who's more established. And if it's somebody whose work we're not as familiar with, you know, sometimes that will be through a client or someone will say, hey, this person that I'm doing a show with is amazing. And, you know, when you come see me, look out for them. Yes. But it is, I would say, 90%, 85-90%, it's referrals or, or some connection. It's very few unsolicited submissions. And of course, there's exceptions to every rule. Yeah. And, and for everybody. Yeah. But I just, you know, the rule is usually that you're, you, you know, not really based on unsolicited emails. Yeah. And so what about developmental actors? So for those of you who don't know, these are actors who are developing their credit still. Do you work with a lot of those or not really? I think so. Yeah. You know, we really like to, we really like to develop talent. Yeah. That's really important to us. But yeah, we have we have a lot of developmental clients. I think we're all very excited about developing new talent and discovering new talent. Yeah. Mark Redanti um, goes to a lot of schools um, that he has relationships with. He's had a relationship with Carnegie Mellon for years, uh, Ithaca College, which is where he went to school. And so he'll go and spend a full weekend and do wow. intensives and master classes. He's had a relationship for years with Broadway Dreams, which he got me in on board with them because uh, a couple of years ago he wasn't available for for a weekend and so he asked you know me to step in yeah and so I've been working with them and he's been working with them um, so it's something that I think all of us feel like it's important discovering somebody who's new even if they're green even if you know they're not there yet even okay. if they're not if if we can see the potential yeah. And I think that's sort of 
Phil Edelman was the same way at Gage Group. You know, he and Stephen Unger discovered 16-year-old Liz Calloway. Yeah. They've been Danny Burstein's only agent since he got out of school. Mary Test is agent for years. And again, it's those relationships, you know, those very long-term relationships. Yeah. And one of my first years for the Tonys, I remember putting an ad in Variety back when you did that to congratulate your nominees, Um, back when there were Tony Awards. God. But I remember that year, Howard Witt was nominated for Death of a Salesman. I want to say Dehody for Footloose and Mary Testa, maybe for On the Town. I think that's who the three were that year. And the the ad that Phil wrote was that the Gage Group is proud to have represented the three of them collectively for, represented them collectively for 40-something years at the time. Wow. Because we really pride ourselves on those long-term relationships. And sometimes that comes from, I know you still have growing to do, but I believe in your talent and I want to foster that and I want to work together and we want to figure this out together and be on this path together for for as long as, you know, we all want to do this. Right. So it's, it's having developmental clients is really important to us. And just for our listeners, I mean, and also people define them differently, but like developmental actors for you are those people who maybe just have like student films, low budget films, that type is like maybe like off, off, off Broadway credits, or is it really people who've had like two or three stuff that's like legit more or less? What, what does that mean to you? Or does it matter? I don't think it matters. Yeah. I mean, for us, I think it's more, they haven't landed yet. Yeah. They, they haven't gotten where we see that they can go. And that doesn't have to be, uh, you know, necessarily like, oh, and in 15 years, we see that, you know, we're not like planning out the exact yeah. path of yeah. somebody's career. But, you know, we know that there's something there that hasn't been tapped into yet. I love it. That's great. And then if a client lives in New York... Will the agent submit the client for LA projects? I feel like even more now, probably, but yes, right? Well, it varies. Yeah. I actually think less now less because now? of the travel restriction. Right. Okay. That is Unless true. it's a remote project, but maybe not. I mean, also there's like, now we're actually starting to get breakdowns again, but it's been a while. But if it's hard because according to our Los Angeles office, mm. LA casting directors don't necessarily dig that. Wow. Glad I asked this. It depends on the project. If it's a film, if it's a feature, and a role that's of substantial import, sure. I think it also depends on the client. Right. I think it also depends on their on-camera credits. Obviously, I mean, we have some clients who are 100% bi-coastal. You know, it's a 50-50 split. Yeah. And we have other people who are, they've done a guest spot, you know, even if it's just a one-day guest on almost every show that shoots in New York. LA is not asking for them. Right. And they don't want to go to LA. There's a lot of stuff for, you know, LA that they only want local hires. And I don't know how many of our clients are willing to put themselves up and send themselves there. Exactly. Or, you know, when it's an episodic in LA, all that stuff moves quickly. So if they can't get them in the room, obviously pilots, yes, 100%. But episodics are harder because there is such a quick turnaround. And our LA office has told us that, you know, LA casting directors, it's a question we get a lot from New York clients who are like, maybe I will go out to Los Angeles for pilot season. This is one we get a lot. And 
what we've been told sort of the consensus in LA is that is the worst time to go to California. Yeah. If you don't already have a relationship with casting directors out there. Also, if you happen to just be on vacation in LA, it's going to be really hard to get meetings right. because they'll you'll take some meetings and then you leave. Right. And then you're not there and available if they do want to work with you. Yeah. So usually if you think that you want to be more bi-coastal because you're New York based, going out for a couple of months in like September, October, October, September, October. Yeah, because in a normal year, um, yeah, it's episodic hard start back yeah. up. But yeah, yeah, exactly. All advice I give is so um, first of all strictly my own and not that right. of my employer, but also um, I don't Unrelated know how accurate COVID. Yeah, I don't know how accurate anything is anymore. Just because, um, yeah, it's um, all bets are off. Yeah, um, with everything being so completely bizarre. And then last question that someone asked me that they were curious about, do you have like a pitch strategy? Do you have something, you know, a way to pitch people? Or do you like when actors pitch you for projects that they hear about? That's a twofold question. A twofold answer or threefold answer, I guess. As far as clients coming to us, it depends. If you know that your college roommate wrote an episode of New Amsterdam, that's casting now. Yeah. We want to know about that. Like if someone you know is directing, if there's something that you feel that you're really right for that, that you have more information that we might not have had, or it's the show you have always wanted to do, the play you've always wanted to do, even if it's being done at some little podunk theater that you think that we wouldn't think to submit you for because you're fancier than that. By all means... Let us know when there's something you're particularly interested in or you have that in. But I think it's really important for the relationship between actors and their agents to be a sense of trust. Just be strategic and and smart about it as opposed to, you know, we'll just get, you know, some clients will email every day with like, first of all, we don't want to know that you get the breakdowns because that's not good. But, you know, to We'll, we'll get like a list of like, I want to be submitted on these six things. Right. And it's like, okay, well, we've already submitted you on those or, you know, and you should, you should know that we're doing that. Yeah. So this might be time for a different conversation other than just, I want to be submitted on all of these things. Yeah. If you hear that friends are going in for something and they are in your category yeah. or your type, which is yeah. something I really take those issue were air with. Quotes and that's a, there too. Yes. Many air quotes. Yeah. Because I firmly believe in trying to buck that trend as much as possible and yeah. be your own unique individual self yeah. and not let the industry put you in a box. But also don't tell us when it's like they all went in last week. Like yeah. if you hear that they're going in, let us know as soon as possible. Yeah. Because that's when they're seeing people. That's when they're seeing people and that's when we could maybe get you in if you know this is something you know, we also may have been trying to get you in and hitting a wall. As far as when we pitch, it varies. It depends on the client, it depends on the project, it depends on the casting director. Yeah, I mean that's sort of a hard blanket answer to give yeah. because there's so many variables. But obviously, you know, when we feel that you're right for something and casting isn't seeing you, yeah. we're going to do what we can to get you in. We may not push as hard if it's, you know, a three-line co-star, no matter how interested you are in doing it, you know. I get that. We want to focus the energy on getting you in for things that are 
you know, more substantial and going to further the career. But again, I think that's something that sort of varies based on everything. And again, subject to change completely given the pandemic. The world we're in right now. All right. Well, I mean, I think that's really it. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch on that we might not have? I don't think so. My mind's kind of a blur from talking about myself for almost an hour. It's been fantastic. I really appreciate hearing all about you. This was uh, this was a treat. Oh. It's nice having a conversation with another adult other than my husband and the people I work with. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, same. I would say same. It's very fascinating to hear about your entire journey. And I had an idea about it, obviously, because we've talked before. But this was way more thorough. And I feel like I've gotten to know you. So thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that and took as much from it as I did. I wanted to read a review from Liz G. Sam on Apple Podcasts titled A Really Clear and Thorough Interview. Loved listening to this. I'm fascinated with how people got to where they are now. Some have windy roads and some clear paths. Michelle asks the questions you have for these mentors and we all learn together. Thanks, Liz. I really appreciate the review. And yeah, I mean, I also try to ask other people for what their questions would be if they could speak to a big producer or director, agent or casting director or vice president of a network. What would they ask? And so I often ask, usually on social media, at Mentors on the Mic or at Michelle Simone Miller, or my Facebook group or page. So definitely follow me on those things. And if you have any questions for any of those people or want certain mentors on, just let me know and I'll try to get it. And review on Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to Mentors on the Mic. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend you know would love it. Let me know what you learned or what stayed with you on our Instagram, at Mentors on the Mic. I will be sharing even more information about our mentors there. These are crazy times, and now more than ever, it's so important to connect. Talk to someone about what you learned today who would really appreciate it, and send them the episode. Also, if you love the show, please go ahead and leave us a rating on iTunes. Every week I'm choosing a review to read on an episode. It really makes a huge difference in growing this. Thanks.